giving to the needy. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Thank you, Catherine. And may God bless the reading of his word this morning. I don't know if you've uh, seen a recent TV show, a celebrity something guessing game, where a celebrity has to get up the front and, uh, and it, they get a, a word that they have to describe, sort of like charades. Um, I, I caught a little bit of one of the episodes and, uh, and the letter was V, and the title that they were trying to describe was The Very Hungry Caterpillar. Uh, so they were saying, oh, it's a kid's book, and, and uh, on, on Monday uh, a lemon got eaten, and on Tuesday uh, three pieces of lettuce were eaten, and, and, uh, and in the end there's a beautiful butterfly. And the person said, oh, The Very Hungry Caterpillar. And I thought, oh, that's good. That's, that's one of my favourite children's books. Uh, well, I want to begin a little bit like that, um, a day in the life of, of Luke. Yesterday, I ate a bowl of cereal, washed down with a shot of black coffee. 
Then at soccer, I ate a bacon and egg roll, and I got them to toast the bread on the barbecue. It's kind of the secret to getting a really good one. I went home, and I had a cup of tea. Then I remembered, oh, that's right, tomorrow I'm preaching on fasting. I better go without lunch, and so I did. I still had a nice hot cup of coffee for afternoon tea, eagerly awaited uh, Alison coming home with uh, some of the with the girls from the shops uh, where they'd bought some of Domino's extra large pizzas. They're like this big. So I had four slices of pizza. Only two of them were from the extra large. Then I made myself a cup of cappuccino and uh, sat down and watched a bit of TV with uh, a cinnamon donut. Uh, I washed it down with some iced water and went to bed, only to wake up later to watch a bit of the cricket when I ate a banana had a hot Milo and an iced donut. <laughs> How do you like my preparation for preaching on fasting? <laughs> uh, I say it because of a couple of reasons. If I was to put all of that food on this side of the pulpit and I was to put the daily meals of a first century believer on the other side of the pulpit, I think you would see a couple of differences. And it's worth us recognising that there are some differences when we approach going without food to a first century believer going without food. There's a few other differences too, I think. Their understanding of what it means to fast and their practice uh, and familiarity with that practice when they hear open the scriptures and, and read about God and his desire for us to fast, and when we open the scriptures and we hear about God and his desire to fast, already we are coming from very different perspectives. I'm not laying my, this is what uh, the pastor eats on a Saturday, um, leading into a, a week as a, an example to you uh, that you should follow. Uh, but just to present the idea that even as I was writing that list down, I was surprised how much food I consume in a day. And a day where I'm already thinking, oh, I better not consume too much. Fasting, it's not limiting what we can have or focusing on what it is that we're going without. Fasting is coming to a realisation that we already have everything that we need. It's realising that God is completely sufficient for every need in our lives. Now for us to come to that realisation, sometimes it takes us limiting what we take in. Sometimes it's a focus on what I'm not going to have but fasting too easily can be about those things and not enough about focusing on God and his sufficiency for us. When we talk about fasting this morning, I don't want you just to hear a message of we've got too much and there's plenty we can go without. This message is about we have a God who meets our every need and we just simply are not trusting him enough. Let me pray. Father, as we open your word, we want to hear from you. As we gather here together, we, we gather recognising that we need more of you. We come with personal needs, some that are, are well known and some that are, are held private.
But each need we bring before you. And in each need, Lord, we know that you are sufficient. So teach us by your word to trust more in you. Teach us that we may encourage each other. Teach us that we may be more like Christ, our Saviour. That we would follow his example. That we would trust in him. Glorify yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've asked Catherine this morning to read Matthew chapter 6. We could read the whole chapter, I think, and get a lesson that tells us about what fasting should be, even though fasting is just a few verses right in the middle. But let me lay it out to you a little bit in, the, in this way. Jesus is speaking and he's saying these things. When you give to the needy, when you pray, when you fast, these things should be the everyday life of the believer. And we would say, yes, we know that as believers we should give generously to the needs of others. And we seek to in many ways. We support charities. We, we support sponsored children. We, we're even willing to pull out our, our wallet if someone approaches us and says, hey, I'm, I'm out of fuel. We, we give generously in those circumstances. Jesus says, when you pray, and we would say, yes, of course. Uh, prayer is it's part of the everyday life of a believer. Uh, and so while this morning we're speaking on prayer and fasting, I really want to speak on fasting and prayer because I think we understand much about prayer and little about fasting. And so when Jesus says, and when you pray, we, we read those words and we say, yes, that's, that's something that we do every day and we need to, uh, to be obedient in that. There's benefit in it. And when Jesus says, and when you fast... Then we start going, oh, now I don't know about that. Uh, I mean, I know that he's speaking to the Pharisees there, and, and I know they're not doing fasting very well. And so we tend to focus as we look at those verses on the fact that, well, Jesus does say, when you fast, not if you fast. We pick that up. But then we tend to make those few verses about, well, you know, we're just learning something about the Pharisees here, aren't we? That when they fast, they disfigure their faces and, and they make it all a, a show about how religious they are and that sort of thing. And actually, what we know about the Pharisees, if there's anything that we know about them, is that we don't want to be like them. And so we can almost, well, I can kind of get myself into an excuse of going, well, I really don't want to be like a Pharisee who fasts and then makes a big show of their fasting and so, you know, gets the criticism of, of God at that point. In order that I be not like a Pharisee who fasts and be, becomes pious in those ways, I'll just not fast. That kind of solves it, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. Jesus is saying a few things that are common in these things. When you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Giving to the needy, it's not about the recognition that you can receive from others. And he's saying the same thing about prayer. When you pray, don't stand in the synagogues and at the street corners with your hands raised, seeking that you will gain the approval of those who would say, oh, what a, a religious person. That person also has received their reward. And Jesus is saying the same about fasting. 
Don't let fasting be about the rewards that you can get as you put it on show and make it evident to other people that this is something that you're doing. The reason why he's saying all of those things is he's saying all of these things are important for completely the other reason. When you give, give that your father who sees you what you do in secret will reward you. When you pray, your father who is in secret will see you in your room with the door shut. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. And when you fast, your fasting isn't to be done to be seen by others, but your father who sees in secret will reward you. These things God wants you to put into your life because he wants to give you reward. So right from the beginning, don't see fasting as something that you have to do away with. Uh, sorry, something where you are doing without something. See fasting as pursuing what God wants to give to you. He's not wanting to minimize your life and make your life hard and have you going around with your head downcast because you just haven't taken in enough calories for the day. Jesus wants us to fast because it is blessed by God. He wants you to live an abundant and rich life. And that life is found strangely in these ways. Not holding on to your money, but giving generously. Not seeking the, the recognition of others in your religious duties, but finding God in the solitude and in the silence. And receiving from God a blessing that just doesn't seem to make sense that I can go without food, the very thing that I know my body needs every day, and actually be in a better position. Because God who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And why I say it could be a whole chapter on fasting, it's really a whole chapter on that principle. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And do not be anxious about what you will wear or what you will eat or any about anything because your father is more than willing. He's there ready to provide. He wants to bless you abundantly. So in all of these things, don't see it as just a, something that you do that's hard for you, but it's good because people will praise you for it. See it as something that's necessary for you to do in order that you don't hang on to the things of this world, but that your sights are set on the kingdom that is yet to come. And God is wanting to reward you richly so that you can live each life without worrying about whether I'm going to have enough money, whether I can afford to meet this need or that need in this person's life or, that person, or, or within my own life. God is here and he is meeting these needs for me. I don't have to worry about the things that, that burden my shoulders or, or that grieve my heart because I have the opportunity just to walk into a room, to close the door. It, it really stops me trying to solve any problem from my own strength and pray to God and know that God listens to the words spoken in secret. He's a wonderful God. He's a loving Father. Read an email this week about a response on, on the Pope wanting to change some words about the Lord's Prayer in order that God sounds a little bit more father-like in the way that we view fathers. It's the wrong way around. 
It's as we see God's father heart that we understand what we as fathers are meant to be like. And it's a true comment because this is what we're seeking to do. See things from God's perspective, not our own. Understand who God is and what he's doing and allow that to change our lives rather than change our lives in order to make God the sort of God that we want him to be. I want to look at many other passages this morning as well as this because I, I want us to see that actually fasting, it's a practice that is Old Testament practice. It's a practice that's New Testament practice. It's a practice that happens in extraordinary times when we desperately need that gift from God. And it's a practice that needs to happen in the very ordinary times. Because what we're talking about in the last few weeks and in the weeks to come are the everyday practices that should be a part of everyday Christians' lives every day. This is one of them. Turn with me to Isaiah 58. We're going to look first at a few examples of getting it wrong. The Bible's a wonderful uh, uh, well, lesson tool for us because it doesn't just tell us the way that people have got it right in the past. It tells us about the way that people have got it wrong. That makes it very accessible to me and maybe to you because we can look at it and we can go, ah, other people have made these mistakes that I've made as well. God has dealt with them truly and, um, and gently and, uh, and he will tr deal with me truly and gently as well. Isaiah 58, what do we learn of fasting? Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you not, have not seen? You have seen it not. They declare. Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure, and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight, and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke? to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is, not, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. 
and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. You shall be like a watered garden, a spring of water whose waters do not fail and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. We'll leave it there. We could say that fasting is a religious practice. And if we were to describe what that religious practice would be, we would describe it in ways that we do see in the scriptures, that people humble themselves before God by sitting on sackcloth and putting ashes on their head and going for days without food. And that would be a, a good picture of what fasting looks like at certain times. But Isaiah here wants to give us an example of what religious fasting looks like compared to what true spiritual fasting should look like. Because the people are doing the religious stuff well. They're sitting on the sackcloth, they're pouring ashes on their head, they're crying out to God, but then they're expecting that God, like a, a miracle-working candy machine, will just give them the things that now they're wanting. And Isaiah says, it doesn't work like that. Because the idea of a fast is that you recognize before God what is your great need. And then you see before God what are the needs that God is wanting to meet. You know, if, if you have enough food every day on your table and you say, one day I'm going to go without food and then the rest of the week I'm going to enjoy as much food as I like, you could say that that's fasting. But if you've got a neighbour living next door to you and they don't have enough food to put on their table day by day by day, and God looks at your prayers and theirs on the same day and sees you going, oh, how holy I am that for one day I'm going without food, when for the other six days in the week you care nothing about your neighbour without any food to put on their table, is God really going to see your apparent need and say, oh yes, I will give him the things that I, he wants because he's submitting himself to me. When you might be the very one that God is wanting to use in order to put a meal on your neighbor's table. God is not impressed by religious duties. Or by us simply being obedient to a pattern of, of worship or a religious ceremony. Fasting is not just about a practice. Fasting is about recognizing that God is in the business of meeting needs. And Isaiah says to the people, look, God is wanting to bless you. He's wanting to make you the repairer of the breach, the, the one who brings blessings to the streets. That is God's desire for you. But it's not just going to come about if you give him a religious you know, nod and, and acknowledgement. But when you recognize what God is wanting to do in you and through you, then when you fast before him, he will bring you into a place where you can be a blessing to others. Let's look at it in a New Testament context, James chapter 4. Now, this may not sound like it's speaking about fasting, and in a way it's not, but in I think what it, the lesson that fasting is, is meant to be for us, it is. James chapter 4, we'll read verses 1 to 10. 
What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that your friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is for no purpose that the scriptures say he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. If we were talking about prayer and fasting, you might say, uh, I have a need and I need to pray about it. And I know if I add to my prayer fasting, well, then God's going to answer my prayers and give me the things that he wants. The scriptures also say don't see it that way for you. Instead, think of it as fasting and prayer. Think about it as you humbling yourself before God. Be wretched, mourn and weep. When you humble yourself before God, then God can bring you into a place of blessing. When your prayers are wrenching in your own gut, that's when God can say the reason why you're having a problem in your relationship is because there are things that you are not dealing with in your own life. It's not going to happen as I just come to God and say, God, make everyone like me. God, sort out this problem. This person's clearly got an issue. Deal with them so that they're more likable to me. It doesn't work that way. God, do the work in me that you need to do in order to bring me to the place that you can use me and I can see your blessings. I don't want to tell you this story, but I feel I have to. I really want a drone. I mean, I really, really want a drone. You know, like a quadcopter that you put up and it's a remote flying thing. You can take photos. and it, it, I, I really want one. And at times, it's the only thing I can think about. And it's not wrong to own a drone, don't get me wrong. But, but I want one so much that I'm willing to go into debt to buy myself a drone, even though I know that there's other debts that have you know, been accrued for you know, things like putting shoes on my kids' feet. I'm not interested in paying those debts. I'm interested in having my own drone, even if I have to go into debt to do it. Oftentimes we kind of want the things we want and they cloud our judgment to the needs that other people need. And one day I hope to have a drone and when that day comes I will rejoice. But I know at the moment it would be wrong for me to go out and get the thing that I want because I would be giving up the need, meeting of the needs of others. So even for myself I'd be willing to... <laughs> It would be wrong at the moment for me to do that. 
sometimes when we come to God with our prayers and requests, they're the wrong prayers and requests. It might still be our prayer, but it's the wrong prayer. Like James says, it's, it's the wrong attitude that we bring those requests to God. Fasting reminds us of our need for God and his sufficiency to meet our need. And fasting reminds us of the needs of people around us and allows us to feel those needs in a way that we wouldn't while ever we're stuffing our faces or wouldn't while ever we're buying the things that we want or wouldn't while ever we're secure in the things that give us security. There's wrong ways to fast and wrong ways to pray. Let me try and speed up. Um, there's lots of other things I want to talk to you about. Here's some good biblical examples for fasting. Moses, when he comes down from the mountain, he's got the tablets of the law in his hand. He sees people worshipping the golden calf. We know that he smashes the, the tablets, don't we? But what else does he do? Deuteronomy 9.18 says, this is Moses saying to the people, I lay prostrate before the Lord as before. Forty days and forty nights, I neither ate bread nor drank water because of the sin that you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. The sins of others grieved the heart of Moses terribly and it put him on his knees. But on his knees, he was pleading for the people. God, be merciful to them. I'm struck by their sin. A good time for fasting is when we confront sin and we need to deal with it spiritually before we deal with it practically. David, after his sin with Bathsheba, and this isn't in dealing with uh, his sin there, but, but when he heard from Nathan that the son that was born to him was going to die, David fasted before the Lord. At a time of death and grieving, David was found on his face before the Lord. I spoke about this with uh, my kids in Scripture. At a time of, in Israel's history, when, uh, when Haman was devising a, an evil plot to, to wipe the Jews from the, well, from the kingdom of, of the, uh, the Assyrians uh, and, and the world at that time, God wanted to intervene and he did so through Esther in a place for a time such as this. What did she do? She didn't just say, well, I'm queen of you know, Susa. I'm going to walk in on the king. Uh, she said, no, all of, all of me, me and my servants, we're going to pray and we're going to fast for three days and, and let all the Jews in the land do the same. We want to, to win the battle spiritually before we begin to approach the battle physically. The king of Nineveh, in, in Jonah chapter 3, when, when Jonah brings finally the message uh, against Nineveh that God is going to destroy the city, what's the king's response? He says, who knows, God may turn and relent from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. If me, my household, everyone in the land, even if the animals fast and pray. Even someone who didn't know God when confronted with 
the circumstances that, that he was in, saw fasting as a means to, to draw near to the heart of God in order that he might change God's heart. And he did, remarkably. The people of Nineveh were saved. There was a time when Israel was under siege and Jehoshaphat was afraid as he saw the armies coming against Israel and so set his face to seek the Lord, proclaiming a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. All the cities of Judah, they came and sought the Lord together through fasting and prayer. Ezra, when he wanted to lead exiles back into the, uh, the land in order that they would rebuild the temple, fasted with the people that he was traveling with before they went. And it sounds like just a prayer for safe travel, but really they were discerning the will of God. God, if, if you are in this, be with us. But we want to submit ourselves before you before we, we take action in any of these things. At critical times, at dangerous times, at, at times of, of great decision, fasting is known. And they're all Old Testament, and so you might sort of go, well, that was just something that they did. But let's look at the New Testament church, Acts chapter 13. I think this serves as an example for us. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them to. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Two examples of fasting and praying there. The first, just part of their everyday worship. The teachers of the, in the, the church at Antioch, just met together and fasted and prayed. It was, it was what they did as they worshipped. And it was at that time that God says, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas. Can you imagine the work that, that happened through the, the ministry of, of Paul after that point that may never have happened had people not just as their regular everyday worship met and fasted and prayed together. And then after God says that, they appoint them and before they send them out, fast and pray for their ministry. I read that and I go, I know we've been praying for a youth pastor. I don't know that we've been fasting as a church. I wonder how often when we say, all right, it's quarterly business, it's the, sorry, AGM, we're going to be appointing deacons for the next 12 months or elders for the next three years. Do we as a church say, all right, let's stop and fast and pray? I wonder what ongoing mission work is not happening because we're missing the voice of the Spirit wanting to speak to us in times of worship. So I want to suggest that fasting is for the ordinary and for the extraordinary. There are times you'll be confronted with grief or confronted with sin or confronted with danger, which are the perfect times to draw aside and fast and pray that God might bring breakthrough. But it's also something that should be part of our just everyday worship. 
For the Jews, they fasted Tuesdays and Thursdays every week. The New Testament believers, they didn't say, well, we're not Jews, we're not going to do that. They set aside Wednesdays and Fridays because it was on a Wednesday that Jesus was betrayed by Judas and Friday that he hung on the cross. And so twice a week, they would fast as part of their everyday worship. I don't know what everyday worship fasting will mean for you. But I want to suggest that if it's not part of your everyday worship, when it comes time for those critical times, you're not going to know what fasting is. You're not going to know what it means to humble yourself before God unless that's a practice that you have begun within your ordinary everyday worship. And I know I speak to, to you as a congregation of people, some who are really disciplined with the way you eat and others who are not very disciplined with the way you eat. Some who are very disciplined in the way you pray and others who don't. Some who are already very familiar with fasting in their lives and some who have never tried it. And I don't want this to be a message of condemnation on one person or another, but an encouragement to everyone. Let's understand what a pattern of fasting in our everyday lives can mean for us, not just in what we are willing to give up, but for what it is that we are expecting to receive from God. Again, a few more examples that we won't go to in depth, but in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God speaks to the people and he speaks to them about their years of wandering in the wilderness. He says, he humbled, speaking of himself, he humbled you and let you know hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that you might make your, so, sorry, that he might make known, sorry, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God let people go hungry in the wilderness. Not because he's spiteful or vengeful or anything like that. He wanted them to go hungry in order that he might feed them. In order that he would feed them manna like a bread like no one has ever known before. He wanted to bring them to a place where they would go, Wow, God is a miracle working God. He's interested in our everyday needs and he can supply them in miraculous ways. And it's those words that Jesus holds on to as he begins his ministry by being sent into the wilderness by God. By the Spirit of God he was sent into the wilderness. That he would fast for 40 days. That he might begin his ministry knowing man does not live by, the bre by, by bread alone but by every word of God. It was important in his very first temptation then that he knew that. Because what was the first thing the enemy sought to tempt Jesus with? Bread. Turn these rocks into bread. Feed yourself. Surely God doesn't want you going hungry. And as we approach fasting, that's going to be the first thing that's going to be a, a drama for us. Oh, I'm hungry. Surely I can just, you know, this or that. But that lesson is for us as well, that we would know that, that we're not to live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And, and Jesus wanted people to understand that message as well. You know, he fed the 5,000 with just a few loaves of bread and a few fish. 
And then he crossed the, the other side of the, the lake and the people were saying, you know, coming to him. And, and, he, and he says to them, you're here not because you're interested in me, but because I fed you and you're hungry again. But when you come to me, I want you to know that I am the bread of life. Anyone who feeds on me will never hunger. Take my flesh and eat it. And many, we're told, left him at that point. Thought this teaching's too hard, we can't follow it. And many rose up and said, yeah, you can't say that you're the bread of life. We know who your father is. He's Joseph the carpenter. But Jesus was saying there's something deeper that you need to know about me. I'm not just a man who does miracles. I am the bread of life. And if you hunger, maybe that hunger is for the purpose of creating a dependency on God that will lead you into ever-increasing blessing. If God fed his people manna in the wilderness that they had never seen, and God wants to feed us with his very own son, isn't it worth going through times of trial? Isn't it worth facing difficulty? Isn't it worth just putting within the pattern of our everyday lives, going without from time to time, that we can be reminded that God is sufficient for us? Carolyn Riverdenaria writes in an article, What Our Brokenness Feels Like, says, When we fast, we deprive ourselves from food we desire. We not only learn to lean more on God, but we are reminded physically of what our brokenness feels like. Our stomach pains reflect our hearts, how our hearts ought to feel when we consider our sin. This is the role that fasting can play in repentance. In fasting, we recognize we have the need of God in our lives to fill us, to nourish us, to heal our brokenness. And it's not just for the spiritual, for, for the Queen Esther's at, at times of national tragedy or for the King of Nineveh at times where we are fearful of God's judgment upon us. It's part of God's everyday redemptive plan for us. So when God says to his people, let the Sabbath day be a complete rest for you and on that day deny yourselves, He's saying there is great freedom found in fasting. I wonder what is the freedom that today you are seeking? Is it freedom from sin? Is it freedom from oppression? What is the freedom that you are seeking? Jesus at a time by a well without his disciples when they're going into town looking for food. They come out realizing Jesus has gone without a meal and say, Master, eat. And he says, I have food that you know nothing about. God wants to give you that food that others know nothing about but meets your every need. Let's finish there. Father, we have come today many ready to give and many seeking to receive. And we thank you that this has been an opportunity where we've been able to give and able to receive. 
Lord, we pray that in the week ahead that you would lead us in new patterns of worship, that we would see that fasting is not just doing without, but fasting is seeking to receive something that is better than we could ever provide for ourselves. And Lord, we pray that you would do this in us, not simply that we would have our own needs met or that we would receive some new gift, but that you would allow us to be the people that you've called us to be, a people who provide the needs of others in our world who are needy, that we would provide physically and emotionally and spiritually that which others need. Lord, you are the bread of life, essential to life and relationship with God. May we understand that life and that relationship and be able to give it to others. We pray in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.